is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Monday, April 24th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family always cranking out the big savings down at MyPillow. Whether it's MyPillow version 2.0, buy one, get one free, my pillow dog bed or the Airlandell my slippers. You enter promo code steak, you're gonna get big, big savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. And a promo code steak here, you're gonna get 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, mystore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear. And the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones and endorsed by Raheem Kassam can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, sitting down for a Monday steak exclusive, get those of your needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram, find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social, welcome, Monday edition, special edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, an exclusive interview with Mr. Raheem Kassam. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, you're in for a treat. Raheem's in with us today. We're going to be talking about just about everything going on in the world right now. So buckle up, sit back, and enjoy. All right, joining us today on this big special edition, Monday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse. He writes probably the best Substack out there as well. Loves to be working on stuff in the background when we're not only introducing him, but asking him questions as well. It's the one and only Mr. Raheem Kassam. Welcome back to the show. You know, somebody has to do the news around here. And, you know, if I have to do the news around here while I'm talking to you guys, then that's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> we actually <laughs> Thank love you for it. having me back. No, it's always our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? We've got a lot of big news breaking today. Uh, probably two of the most recognizable pundits. One obviously carries a lot more weight than the other, but on both sides of the political spectrum as well, being let go from their current positions uh, with major news outlets, Tucker Carlson at Fox News and then Don Lamont over at CNN. Let's jump right into it. You got, you have to be looking at this from all angles. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, you can look at this in a, in a, in a, in a few different ways. I mean, 
I guess a lot of people will be shocked by it. I am not shocked by it. Um, I think for a long time now, there has been an uneasiness about Tucker's editorial independence. Um, as far as the, you know, the corporate class at Fox were concerned, the, the, you know, we say the Dominion lawsuit, right? Let's call it what it is. The State Street Capital lawsuit exactly. um, is, is what it really is. Um, it went some way, I mean, quite a long way to disturbing that settlement, uh, uh, you know, w within Fox's uh, primetime lineup. Uh, the other parts of it, as I understand it, I mean, uh, people should realize when I'm speaking now that the news is only just broken uh, for us right now. And I mean, I mean literally minutes ago, um, but I've had some phone calls since. And, and, and I've said, I think I've said on this show previously that um, Fox and Tucker was not a relationship that was particularly long uh, for this world. There are lots of different reasons for that. Another reason would have been um, a lot of what's gone on with the Ray Epps saga, uh, especially after the 60 Minutes, you uh, were culpa that, that Ray Epps had, where he was sort of trying to throw mud at every single person who took him at his word, right? We, we've discussed his words before on the show. Um, and then also, uh, you know, I think, unfortunately, we have to get into this a little bit, which is how um, Ron DeSantis' donors, particularly the... the establishment class of donors that we've we've written a lot about um, at the National Pulse have been attempting to drive wedges through the heart of different constituent parts of the MAGA um, coalition. So let me let me caveat some of that or, or, or push back against myself in a way, because a lot of people have been talking about some of Donald Trump's um, tactics over the last couple of weeks, specifically, uh, you know, he has had a lot of congressmen, especially Florida congressmen, uh, endorsing him over the last weeks in a, in, a, in a pretty, pretty brazen and successful effort to destabilize um, Ron DeSantis' world. It's worked. It's worked to a significant extent. But people can't be so naive that that stuff isn't happening in the other direction also. And, and, you know, not to point fingers at anyone or any person, but it comes as no surprise, right? And it surely should come as, as no coincidence in the listener's mind that over the last several months, as the MAGA coalition has been attacked by these establishment donors who currently want Ron DeSantis as the nominee, that we've seen the implosion of Project Veritas, we've seen uh, this implosion now at Fox News, and we have also begun to see the D.C. institutional pro-life movement, the Susan B. Anthony lists, organizations like that, Heritage again, as usual, um, openly attacking Donald Trump. And, and this is all coming from the same space. Now, that is not to say that, that they can take victory laps over all of these things, as I'm sure they want to do. They're a concatenation of factors behind what's going on here. But the overarching theme is that there are people inside the tent lighting it on fire, right? And and those people, unfortunately, um, are currently pitching for, for a candidate whose name is not Donald Trump. So, you know, take that how you will. I know there are a lot of people out there who, who still have a lot of time for Ron DeSantis as, as a person. I do as a person. 
But institutionally, the people around him, his donors, I look at all of this mess that's coming out now. I talk to so many people, more higher up than you could possibly imagine, right? And and the the word is the word is that, right? Is that is that it's that wedge being driven that is causing so much of this agony. You make a lot of excellent points there. I think one of the best ones you made was how after January sixth, uh, the Murdoch media empire, the Florida paid influencer industrial complex really tried to draw that wedge between Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson. Uh, you know, the text messages leaks from January 6th, and that's a very emotional day. You can't take one without the other. A lot of people made and, and said things on that day that didn't really define them as people. It kind of defined them emotionally in the moment. Um, but since then, you know, I called it, I called it the storming of the Bastille, <laughs> you know, so I mean, I'm still, I'm still surprised that hasn't made it so out to media matters yet. We'll, we'll be sure to tag them in an audio clip of it for this podcast. See if you can't, get it. <laughs> but, but seriously, Raheem, you know, since then the relationship has obviously been back on the men. Tucker Carlson appeared at, uh, you know, the golf event down at Mar-a-Lago, uh, you know, several months ago, they did a one-on-one interview earlier this month. And, uh, it, it seemed like between that and Fox news, not being able to, you know, drive the death stroke in between the relationship. And we know by talking to a lot of people who are around Tucker Carlson, Fox News hates the memes that he puts up as his uh, mm-hmm. as he's reading his narratives on TV. Like, when they really want to make John Fetterman look like a retarded person, like, they'll literally <laughs> say John Fetterman is retarded. And, and mm-hmm. same, thing, same thing with Ray Epps. You see this 60-minute interview that came out over the weekend – Big shocker there, the FBI and the deep state doesn't want to burn one of their confidential human sources on television. Like, Weird. We should all just believe that Ray Epps' life is ruined by Tucker Carlson, but I, I, I get... Yeah, by, by the way, just as an addendum to that, he looks so different, doesn't he? Very I mean, different. He's, got the bu- he's got the button-down shirt, the beard is nice and tight, like... What, I mean, who is paying for this? <laughs> this, this great, like, metrosexual reinvention of Ray Epps. <laughs> Where was the... Uh, MAGA hat. That's what I was wondering. And and his wife did, during the interview, her best Jill Biden to wherever he didn't seem like he was going down the answer that 60 Minutes wanted. She just kind of trampled right over him and fed the words to the interviewer for him. So very believable when when you talk about that stuff. And then let's segue to Ron DeSantis a little bit. So we all, we all know how you feel about him. We feel exactly the same way. Massive push from the billionaire donor class, massive push from the rhino establishment, the deep state wall street, you name it. Like whether or not that's Ron DeSantis, the person as you can define him and want to take away some of the wins that he's had throughout the course of his political career. Not as many as people would make you to think, but there were still some good ones. Um, Mm -hmm. What does this do for him right now? There are a lot of people in in conservative politics, both politicians who are endorsing Donald Trump, major figures in in the media right now, and even people around him, as we saw, and and you talked about, you know, his his donors are like, what is going on with this guy, that are really getting impatient with where they're at. How does he, number one, overcome this if he can, and, and number two, what does it look like whenever he makes his decision either way? Yeah, look, I mean, I've started to wonder whether or not the, um, the the singularity is actually a bad thing or not, because I think yeah, oftentimes I would like to plug my brain into a computer and just upload everything so that you all can you all can just, you know, pick away at it and see what's going on in there. Because because I, I, I go through all of this stuff and I, you know, I, I live right here on Capitol Hill yep. and I hear all of the things on a, on a day to day basis. But. But, you know, to the point where 
when somebody says to me, as they did this morning, oh, you know, Tucker's out at Fox, and I go, yeah, I mean, obviously. Because because it's just, it's such an obvious thing to have happen when you have the talk happening around the town as you do. And here's another obvious thing, right? And this is, this is why I make that point. Think about this. Ron DeSantis' world, whether rightly or wrongly, whether you think it is rightly or wrongly, Ron DeSantis' world and Ron DeSantis himself and his wife decide that he wants to run for president, right? Okay, so that decision has been taken. That decision was taken a long time ago. And so they start to put into place all of the things you need to do that. Um, the organizations, the groups, you need, you need bodies, you need people, you need money, you need all of these things. And they start knocking on doors. And what happens is, you know, the door peaks ajar, uh, they get their few words in like, hey, you know, we're going to run for this and we're doing this. Can you help us out? Would you come and work? Would you come and do this? And they were just simply not getting as many yeses as they thought they were going to get early on. OK, so you can't get as many tried and true MAGA types to defect, to come over, to turn the backs on Trump. So what do you do? Where do you go? Do you take a step back and go, oh, maybe we can't do this? Yeah, if you're not a politician, you know, a.k.a. not a sociopath, then, then yeah, you probably take a step back and go, hmm, we should probably reconsider. No, instead what's happened is the donor class that have already given up their money, that have already made these pledges, have said to them, it doesn't matter. We'll get some other people in. We'll get some other consultants in. We'll get some other polling firms in. And so where else is there to go except old cruise world? old Romney world and old Bush world. And that's what you're seeing happening now. The interesting part of that to me is not that necessarily that, that Ron DeSantis is having to, to work with people that he necessarily doesn't see eye to eye on. At the end of the day, my enemy's enemy is my friend can actually get a lot done in politics. The more interesting part than that for me is, is these people are not good at their jobs, okay? <laughs> No, 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 they're not. They're not. The, the Colgrove polling firms, you know, the Paul Ryan world type stuff. These people are fat, lazy, low IQ uh, people who, who, you know, listen, we make a lot of jokes that Raheem sits out on the terrace at Morton's, couple martinis, you know, what, what have you. Like but it. these people, these people stay there, chuffing away their cheap cigars patting each other on the back and convincing themselves that they're good at politics when they're not. And that's who he has around him now. That's not to say that those are his direct advisors, but they are the vendors, right? They are the outside groups that are doing the oppo research. They are the outside groups that are running the polling and, and they're just so bad at it. If I need to remind you how bad they are at it, John McCain and Mitt Romney, yep. okay? That's all you need to know. It's those people. It's that world. And it is, again, like I say, not a choice. It is, it is a necessary outcome of doors being slammed in their faces for the last year because people like you and I turned around and said, no, MAGA hat stays on. MAGA hat stays on. And that's always been the case here. So now as we get down this road and we see what Donald Trump is doing, a lot of people harshly criticized him, especially those at the 
you know, who speculate to themselves that they're at the tip of the political spear of conservative and America first politics over the course of the holidays uh, of in 2022, saying Donald Trump putting out these five minute policy videos was garbage. Uh, his inaction in getting involved in other things was garbage. Then they go and say that, OK, he went through the midterms. And even though he spent tens of millions of dollars campaigning and got an overwhelming majority of his endorsements in, although not some of the flashiest candidates, he still did a good job. I mean, all those House candidates that got in that were endorsed by Trump. Trump and two senators ain't too bad for a former president as far as endorsement record goes, especially when you put him up against the last probably top five people who held the office uh, behind him. And now, you know, he, he's on the attack. He was able to get ahead of the policy narrative. He was able to get ahead of what he planned on doing with Agenda 47. And now he's kind of laid it out there so early, in fact, that anyone who wants to get into the race is doing one of two things. They're either taking the completely establishment route and saying Donald Trump is wrong, even though a lot of his policies worked throughout the course of his first presidency. Or they're going to just try and rewrite or restate things that he's already put out there or already has achieved or wants to finish in, in potentially his second term. How does this bode for anyone who's in the race right now, and, and including prospective candidates like Ron DeSantis if he, if he tries to get in? Yeah, listen, like you say, right, just to put a finer point on that, it's not bad. The midterms are not bad for a, a bloviating, insurrectionist, rapist, secret Russian dotard, right? Like, you think of all the things they throw at him and his movement, and then they turn around and go, well, he did 25% less better than we thought he would do. Like, okay, right? <laughs> you know, like, no, no one else would have got any single endorsed candidates in in that midterm, given what they were going up against. And that's why at the end of it, you know, at the end of those midterms, I said, hold on a minute, like, let's, let's have a little bit of common sense about this here. You had McCarthy spending money against his candidates. You had McConnell spending money against his candidates. You know, all of these things were bearing down pressure and they still couldn't get, still couldn't get the great shock that they wanted at the ballot box, right? And, and I think, I think, you know, that, that is a, a, a major thing that I think a lot of people who are wavering um, and feel a bit, feel a bit gentle and sensitive about it need to internalize that actually the, the wall is far stronger than they would have you believe. Um, I, I also just want to come back to a, a, a point about Tucker and the media, and we didn't even touch on Don Lemon yet, although, you know, from what I hear, Don Lemon touches on a few things himself. Um, <laughs> um where's 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 the real life lindsey graham there when i need him oh um there we go (laughs) look two things here on the tucker side number one uh tucker has the entire world at his feet coming out of fox news all right and so people shouldn't necessarily feel uh um nervous that he's going to go away uh this is a corollary to that which is to say we're, we're fooling ourselves if we don't think that that prime time slot on fox is is worth a lot it's worth a lot i mean the stock price movements over the last hour alone tell you just a little bit of how much it's worth but in terms of in terms of like you mentioned those memes right those right. memes going up every night the verbiage that was used, the cutting to the chase, like that's gone. And that's gone for, unfortunately, a lot of people who still watch and, unfortunately, a lot of people who will continue to watch Fox News. Remember, there are people out there, especially people over the age of 45, 50, whose habit is still to turn on the television. It's not to load up Rumble. It's not to go listen to the podcast side of things. It's it's old-fashioned habits die hard, right? 
And so there is a loss there. There's, I mean, Murdoch would have calculated these things. He's, 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 he's off his rocker, but he's not off his rocker. You know what I mean? Um, and then the second part is the Don Lemon stuff that I just wanted to make mention of really quickly. Sure. Totally and utterly predictable. Um, and, his, and his response, the diva, toys out of the pram statement. Oh, my agent told me and I would have expected the company to call me themselves and blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, the company has been leaking info out about you for the last several months you know you expected to be treated with what you wanted to you wanted a rolex on your way out it doesn't make any sense <laughs> probably so so both of these things to me i have to say not particularly shocking um both of these things i think also though will have a lasting impact on each of their each of their organizations um cnn uh, i mean the the changes that have gone on there in the last year have not amounted to really anything nope. in terms of the feedback that they're getting from their test audiences, not really amounted to anything in terms of bringing audience numbers back. And so I think a lot of people at CNN are probably going to be looking at Lemon after 17 years being turfed out and going, oh boy, I'm next. Yeah, that's, a good, that's an excellent point there. I, I'm still having a hard time coming to the realization that a gay black man was canceled in the mainstream media. But, you know, I, I, maybe they'll just get a trans morning host mm. to go in there. Maybe that's the next, uh, you know, door opening up for Dylan Mulvaney right now. That, that <laughs> But not vice president? <laughs> that too. But, you know, it is, it is pretty shocking. I do like what you said. Uh, that's a really excellent point. Tucker and Don Lemon being removed from where they're at in their current positions, not really a shocker to anyone who actually tracks the news in any way, shape, or form that's legitimate. But the vacuum and uh, ripple effect that it will have down the road, definitely something that we're going to have to continue to keep our eyes on. Raheem, I do want to segue to something that's pretty big. By this, mm. by this time tomorrow, Joe Biden will all but have announced his uh, – intent to run for re-election again. Uh, there's a mm. lot of stuff going on around the Biden team right now. We, we saw today, it was just breaking before we jumped on with you, Susan Rice is out as a top advisor to Joe Biden. Uh, we mm. did have last week a lot of late-breaking news heading into the weekend, and before we're all distracted by things like Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon and Ray Epps on 60 Minutes like... Merrick Garland probably lied under oath in regarding uh, the Hunter Biden laptop narrative, something that you've been at the, the running point on almost since day one. And then Alejandro Mayorkas probably lied under oath to the Senate last year when talking about border security. Uh, when you see all of this uh, stuff going on and then you want to parlay maybe a Janet Yellen and the budget debate and the debt ceiling debate coming down the pike in the next month and all this chaos going around, Joe Biden, he's just going to go out there and tell you that best jobs president ever, legislative juggernaut, best economy in the history of the galaxy. Let's do it again, Jack. What do you think? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fantasy world. And it's, it's you, think, you, know, you know, they know they have to take people into fantasy world here because because the real world looks worse and worse by the minute. Yeah. The real economy looks worse and worse by the minute. The situation in Sudan looks worse and worse by the minute. The situation in Ukraine looks worse and worse by the minute. The situation with China looks worse and worse by the minute. With Iran, everything is going to hell in a handbasket and and you know might might well say twas ever thus right we didn't start the fire but but <laughs> the acceleration with which it has occurred in, in the last 18 months and the effects it's having on people's day-to-day -day lives is certainly more jarring i think than this administration <coughs> regime expected and uh, I, I look at it like this right if if you're firstly joe biden's 
campaign expected campaign manager is going to be the one who was in charge of Kamala's last time around, mm. who was accusing Joe Biden at the time of being, you know, uh, misogynistic and a liar and a doddery old person and incapable of doing the job. You know, that's now who's running his campaign um, or expected to run his campaign. Susan Rice will no doubt be uh, a critical, integral part of the the, the uh, go-between for the corporate donor class and the campaign proper. Um, will also be in charge of also looking at the how people get to vote, if people get to vote, if their votes are even counted. All of the same um, machinations that we saw last time around. You think they're backing off from any of those? Um, then you've got another thing coming. Um, and you know, I think I think what you're now seeing is 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 a regime in panic because of what you mentioned as well. But, I mean, the Hunter Biden stuff. Yes, look, we we broke so much of that news day one. Do you know how much it pains me, by the way, to see every so often the New York Post will pop a news story with like exclusive, <laughs> and it will be something like three years ago from the National Pulse. <laughs> you know, exclusive. Hunter Biden went to visit Joe in the White House in 2015. Like, yeah, we already published the logs, dude. Like, can you can you catch up? Um, and and but, but but the most important part is this, right? It, it's what you point out: the lying, the lying under oath, the the 51 intelligence um, operatives who who signed this letter. But 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 we're not looking directly at that now. And I'll give the I'll give the audience a, a reason why. There are liars in politics, you know, almost almost wall to wall and ceiling to floor. So so if you're going to walk into that room and be like liar and point, everyone's going to look. <laughs> everyone's going to look at you and go, "You're talking to me." <laughs> um, uh, the the really interesting part is how those to me now is how those lies come to be uh, laundered into uh, the public consciousness. And so as, as we're talking right now, I am editing a piece that will be up uh, later today on the National Pulse about uh, a reporter that some people may have heard of called Natasha Bertrand, but I'm not sure that people quite realize just how much of a not reporter Natasha Bertrand is, right? You don't go from Business Insider to NBC to... Um, uh, Politico to CNN, all within the space of a few years, all under the same rubric of national security, and publishing all the same stories: the Russia hoax stuff, uh, the you know the dodgy dossier stuff, uh, the Hunter Biden. You know, she was the one who broke the the, the fifty one uh, intelligence people say that this is Russian disinformation around the Hunter Biden uh, laptop. She broke that over at Politico. There is a nexus, and once you start attacking. Those linchpins and those those you know uh, points, those nodes of of uh, information dissemination, things start to crumble apart for the regime pretty darn quickly. Um, that was what happened with Ray Epps. That's why they're still trying to prop up the Ray Epps stuff. That's why you know it, it it happens across the board. But we all, like you say, we all get distracted, right? We're going to be talking now for days and days, if not weeks and weeks, about what's Tucker going to do? Oh my goodness! Like Tucker's going to do what he's going to do. You don't need to think about that. That's not something that concerns you know how how your government operates and how it continues to fleece you out of uh, you know not just your money but your you know the truth also. Um, so that's something that we're looking at right now. And, and I have to tell you, you know, I, I don't expect to get a comment back, 
from from Ms. Bertrand when we reach out to her for her you know her say in this story but it will be the first shot across their bow of like hey we know what you're doing we know how you're doing it and and people like Bertrand should be called in front of Congress and made to testify did she know that when she was publishing this information that it was that it was you know a known falsehood by the people who gave it to her. That's very interesting. For me, that's more interesting than Dominion saying, oh, well, Fox hedged over whether or not our machines work or not. Like, who cares, right? This is about, this is about the security apparatus of the state being used to, to falsely propagandize its own citizens and a quote-unquote reporter who is all, uh, uh, all too happy to play uh, the piper in that sense. Yeah, the, when you start to peel the layers back on this uh, Hunter Biden laptop uh, memo from the 50 former intelligence officials, it is basically like they tried to use the same blueprint for the Steele dossier, but they said this will be a legitimate one. So we'll have like one that's completely made up, and then we'll have one that's also completely made up, but we'll use real people to kind of legitimize it for the American public, and then we'll just hit them from both ends and see what sticks. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was like next election cycle, same blueprint. And it looks like, you know, moving forward, they're going to try to say pretty much like you said, if you want to take that Time Magazine article that basically laid out everything that they did before you need to talk about any servers, any voting machines, any of that stuff, ballots in the middle of the night, you don't even really have to go there when you go through the Time Magazine article. They had an entire national apparatus set up designed completely to stop Donald Trump from doing anything outside of day of voting period. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and if they, if people in conservative politics, the America first movement think without the work that needs to be done, and it's a very small piece of work between now and election day, it's five or six States, less than a hundred thousand votes that determines on whether or not Donald Trump gets to 270. Like the Trump team yep. knows that everybody knows that everybody in conservative politics is going to tell you something different because they want to be heard over everybody else every time they open their mouths. But that's literally the only equation on whether or not Donald Trump becomes the president again in, in, in 2024. My opinion is when Donald Trump led the narrative that he was the jobs president, it did a lot better. He wasn't the jobs president during COVID when he ran for re-election the first time. So I think once they pulled that narrative away from him, he had to do everything possible. And with Jared Kushner pulling a lot of strings behind the scenes, didn't really work out since he burned all the money by the Super Bowl of that year. But, uh, you know, I think moving forward, they know what they need to do. And if we don't get the results that we want in the next election, it's because they didn't do what needs to be done in those states, period. There's, there's no blue states that are turning red. There's no red states that are turning blue in the last couple of election cycles that haven't voted either way since. So I just think uh, you make some good points there. We need to know that they're not going to give up those easy routes to getting votes and uh, pushing their narrative, and we need to be able to confront that head on, especially in those five or six states, or we're pretty much going to suffer the same results. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's right. Um, I, I also think that there's, um, there's far greater cause now, I think, for people to realize that they can disrupt the, um, the status quo here in D.C. than yeah. ever before. I think, I think there are enough, there are enough uh, renegades now. You look at, look at Seymour Hirsch as an example on, on you know, the pipeline stuff, but also this $400 million worth of embezzlement that they found uh, in. And you've just got to pull at these threads in Ukraine. You stop pulling at these threads, okay? So pull at that thread. Um, so Seymour Hirsch reports that. A week later in Politico, Politico, right? Like this is, 
he says the DC establishment, this is the security state's rag of preference. Um, and for, for lots of good reasons. I mean, for, for a corporate news outlet, uh, they've done an, an extremely good job of dominating DC's attention spans. And so, you know, necessarily, if you're a corporate, if you're a state apparatus, you do go to, to Politico first. Um, the thread you start pulling at leads to this article in Politico. And Politico says to Zelensky, effectively, in a warning article that came out last week, didn't get much fanfare, we highlighted it, um, look, it says, hey, uh people aren't happy with you you're an authoritarian you're banning opposition parties uh you're embezzling money you may be susceptible to your own madan revolution yourself soon in politico as a warning shot to zelensky fascinating fascinating development there and then you look at it you know obviously we've had all these leaks coming out and i think the washington post is the only one to their credit who is still publishing uh information from the uh, from the discord leaks from a few weeks ago but you start to look at the way that the u.s is is treating uh that that conflict and 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 how it's having ramifications in africa obviously we know of the ramifications uh in asia we know of the ramifications in uh iran as well at the moment and you start to see this whole thing just spiraling out of the regime's control and it takes me back to an earlier point they're starting to realize that they're not as talented at this as they thought they were. I know there's a there's some sort of phrase for that. You probably know what it is. Um, some some sort of syndrome that describes you know being far worse at your job um, than you think you are. Um, but that is happening in real time, very quickly here in Washington D.C. at the moment, and 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 you will have to live it <laughs> out there. So I'm sorry for that. Well, I mean, if it gets us the results we want in the next election, which uh, doesn't necessarily start and end with Donald Trump, it's just a large component of it. I mean, the battle for yeah. the Senate is uh, probably equally, if not more important, if we're going to get to where we need to get. And we're already seeing some gerrymandering and redistricting going on in New York and California, which means we're really going to have to work for some of those House seats that we gave up across the country, mm. ones that we thought were shoo-ins, uh, you know, in, in the last election cycle. So... A lot, lot of fight coming yeah. coming down the pike, and when you start to get that whole Ukraine narrative in there, it doesn't seem like there's so much going, well, there's nothing going well for this current regime, but they are going to spin it pretty much like they always have, that it's the best of everything possible, and I really do think they're going to purposely try to back into a hot war with China uh, between now and, and the 2024 elections. I don't really think they want it, but if they could just throw one last match into the pile of tinder that is currently Washington, D.C. that's already pretty much smoldering right before, let's say, potentially Donald Trump could retake the office, they're, they're more than likely to do that. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's too dangerous. That's too dangerous because um, Joe Biden and Joe Biden's team are not seen as wartime leaders. And in a situation like that, the country will call on a wartime leader. Uh, I, I, I think that would be the contrary to what they want to do here. They want to say, they'll probably want to say, hey, if we let the other guy back in, then you'll get a war uh, with China over this stuff. Yeah, that worked out so well for them last time, right after Donald Trump walked into North Korea and, and called Kim Jong-un right. fat right to his face. So it was uh, good times during the last Trump administration. Raheem, last thing I wanted to touch with you on, I think it's a big one, mm. especially for you. Uh, you've got a lot of changes going on down at the National Pulse. We bring you on for your commentary. We bring you on because we love the, the, the opinion you give in regard of how it lines up with our show. But you've been working really hard for probably more than a year right now on making sure the National Pulse is going to be the one-stop shop for everything, uh, you know, 
that highlights your sub stacks, that highlights the, the podcasting stuff that's going on, and amplifying the voice of what true journalism is all about. You want to let our listenership maybe just get a little bit of preview on that? Yeah, um, there's not all that much I can offer uh, right now, except to say that we we are going to be changing a lot of the ways that the news is presented on the National Pulse. And I actually think that uh, connoisseurs will recall uh, that the Pulse was really one of the first, if not the first, um, organization on the political right that, that uh, did news, but from a crowd-funded perspective you know we have we have a membership thing that now i know the daily caller has it too the daily wire has it too but you know when we were when we were restarting human events and then when we started the national pulse um we were really the the first people out there doing it like that so um we're going to have a high level of stress on on being part of the community that breaks this kind of news you know, guys, sometimes days in advance, as you know, sometimes weeks in advance, as you know, and sometimes years in advance yes. um, of, of, of the rest of them. And I really need people's support to do that. I, you know, I can't call on a hedge fund uh, to back us up. I can't even call on the Heritage Foundation, uh, you know, supposedly an $80 million a year organization with an office three blocks away from me to help us at all. They're not interested. They don't want to win. They don't like winning. It's the same thing that's going on in the D.C. Conservative Inc. institutional pro-life movement at the moment. All of the donations dried up after Dobbs. And so now what they're doing is they're confecting this fight with Donald Trump over the federal abortion ban in order to scare up some more uh, resources for themselves. It's disgusting. It's depraved. It's super D.C. Um, and, and it leads me to another point that I've been working on for some time now. That is a contentious thing that I have in my mind that I'm still bearing out through data, but I wanted to float it with you guys here first. Sure. My contention is that the R, the letter R, in brackets, after Donald Trump's name, is actually a greater liability for him than Donald Trump is in front of the R. And I'm not sure you can say that about anyone else. I just think, you know, Donald Trump doesn't need to necessarily... look. I understand the way that the system works and all that. I'm not saying that Donald Trump should or could, uh, or, or rather should, uh, run as a third-party candidate. I'm just saying that there are a lot more people out there that are suspect of voting for Republican candidates than they are suspect voting for Donald Trump. I think there is a lot more, especially after a lot of these narratives have been blown open in recent months, I think there is a lot more... Uh, people out there who go, yeah, 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 like Trump, like what he says, never voted Republican, though. Don't think I could ever do it, you know? And I think uh, I think there's something very interesting in that. No, I, I, I knew where you were going with there. It's something that, I'll be completely honest with you, I'm reluctant to touch on myself because as soon as people start weighing in on that, the ones at the top of the you know, mainstream media industrial complex will start hammering down. Like, there's people already at the ground level who are telling Trump to break away from the Republican Party, run as an independent, and guarantee. I'm not saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
a Joe Biden reelection. No, I, I, I know you're not saying no, that that's the route, but I do like the angle. There are a lot of people who agree with Donald Trump on a lot of policy issues that aren't necessarily America first. All of the ones that cater to walkaways and independents that, like you said, never have, never will ever vote are. And it's uh, something that they should probably look at and try to figure a way to, you know, welcome these people into the tent. But it, speculating that why is, is a great angle to look at it on. You've you got to think of it as, as how a lot of people thought of their 2016 votes. A lot of people thought of their Brexit votes yep. as as not not necessarily affirming confidence in Trump or Brexit or, or any of the figures necessarily there, but certainly rejecting their confidence in in the established order, and 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 that is that is called a protest vote, right? You have to be able to allow people to exercise what they seem to think of as a protest vote in favor of, in favor of Donald Trump, and it's the R after his name that stops them doing that. Now, again, just to be clear, I'm not saying he should run as a third party candidate, but I am saying he should lean lean way back into the outsider. Um, the outside the narrative. Do you think some of the policy things he started to outline right now are kind of working his way towards there and can be refined over the course of the next year and a half? Yes, yes, I, I think so. I mean, I think we all got a little tired of the grievance stuff, but I think that's because we're so very close to it. I think Trump himself understood that not everybody hears this stuff eight, the 18 times a day that I mention it. Um, and so, you know, you hammer, you hammer that as much as possible. And then once you move into an election stage, into an election footing, as we're seeing this year, then you start going back and, and talking about, okay, so like now, what does that look like? What are the policies that get us there? What are the things that people can broadly agree on that bring them back into the tent or bring them into the tent for the first time ever? Yeah. You know, and I think, I think there's something so strong there and, and, and you, you know why, uh, institutional, conservative inc dislikes donald trump it's because he doesn't rely on the republican after his name he doesn't rely uh, on that on that thing to get him over the line he 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 does it anyway right um there isn't there isn't a a focus group of of con inc influencers that he goes to and, and goes hey you know like tell me how this would play out on our side he says no look this is how we feel about it this is what i think about it and you guys can 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 either get on board or not trump could jump in with the rhino terminology with an actual positive connotation yeah yeah it, it's a good point <laughs> and i tell you yeah. what not only have they made lists of former administration officials and those up on capitol hill that they need to take care of figuratively, of course, by firing them if Donald Trump wins re-election again. They're also doing the same thing with the pundits in the media. I mean, they always call out, like, let's say, fake news CNN or State of the Fake Union, and, and, you know, he's got his names for that. But they are literally finding these people on social media who are going around and, and just astroturfing for other candidates or trying to completely wreck the things that Donald Trump did throughout the course of his presidency is not legitimate. And those people are, are not going to be involved, much as wasn't the case in, in 2016 when he came in and they, they were basically hiring anybody off the street. Um, and, you know, we definitely think that it's great that he segued away from rigged and stolen, like you alluded to as well. Right now they're using the term election interference. And when you talk to stuff directly related to, like, the Hunter Biden laptop story and how the, the memo from the 50 former intelligence officials is kind of unfolding, you, you look at stuff like the Time Magazine article and, and just things like that, you could say that's legitimate election interference. Like, that's the angle that House Republicans 
Republicans are going on. And I've tried to, to literally bait a couple former Trump administration officials who have come on the show to see what they're going to say. And they all have recently said mm. election interference, which I think is a great segue for Donald Trump. Because like you said, people were getting exhausted with him opening up every rally or every speaking event for 10 minutes of strong <laughs> policy-driven stuff and then putting his elbow on the podium and saying, the 2020 election was rigged and stolen right. and then go off on it for a tangent. Like we know. But we got to right. move on because there's another election to win, and it's probably way more important than it was in 2020. Yeah, and, and by the way, not to say that he's wrong in any way, but point made. Okay, point made, point heard, understood, got the memo, got the message. Now what? Right, and that's what they're moving on to now. Is now what? And it, you know, that's a good thing. I, I, I see, I see uh, lots of reasons. Yeah, I obviously see lots of reasons to be to be depressed right now. I think a lot of people see that. But I do. I, I have started to see recently a lot of reasons to be positive. Yeah, I think so. Donald Trump's had a good last couple of months, uh, and, and we don't see him slowing down anytime soon. Raheem, this has been great sitting down with you today. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this treat you've unpacked for them and uh, be you know, checking you out a lot more, hopefully checking us out for the first time as well once you share everything. But for everyone that's not following you, we're obviously going to live link the Pulse website in the show description today. But mm -hmm. if we're not following you on social media, where can we check you out? Yeah, look, I think um, I, by probably, I will say, June the 1st, latest, I hope, people will be seeing a very different um, national pulse, and therefore you should seek that out um, on all of the different platforms, um, the Nat Pulse, on Twitter, um, on Getter, on Truth Social, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, look, I, I will leave you with one thing that has been been bearing down on me recently, uh, as as the Twitter algorithm has has failed to really improve drastically over the last couple of months. And that is this: a lot of our people on our side, a lot of people who want to see real news and real reporting, they see it pop up in their feeds, they like it, they might even retweet it. They might even quote tweet it and say, oh, yeah, see, I knew this was going on, blah, blah, blah. But they never click the actual article. And I ask the audience out there, how do you think conservative news sites succeed if you don't click the article? How do you think we make any money? How do you think we make any impact if people are not going in? Uh, I'll give you an example. To put 750 words together on Natasha Bertrand is a several-day process. <laughs> of, of, of There are three of us who have to look at that article, write that article, edit that article, sit down, uh, reach out to them for comment, go back through all of her history. Look, you know, The research is, is, is immense, and the team over here is doing a great job. And then you know, we'll publish it, and lots of people will retweet it, but people won't click in. They won't, they won't internalize the information. They won't weaponize the information. They won't share it like to, to a million groups that they're part of as they should be doing. So I say to, I say to people this nowadays, because I get phone calls, I'm sure you do too, from so many people all day long, you know, heads of organizations, um, activists, uh, you name it, who will say to me, hey, what do you think about this? And I go, dude, I wrote that last week. You didn't read it? Uh, I, I tweeted it last week. You didn't, you didn't, you know, think to actually dig in to what I was saying about this, like click into the thing and read it and internalize it. Um, that is, so, so my, my thing now is click the bloody link. All right. Hashtag click the bloody link. 
And I think a lot of people will find that they learn a lot more. And by the way, it's not just the national pulse. You should be doing this across the board. You should be making sure that you listen to the end right to the end of every single steak for breakfast show you should read every single post-millennial article you know you should uh, you should be getting into the nitty-gritty of these things not just hitting the like lazy like and the lazy retweet um and that's the way that that we succeed uh, if you don't do that we disappear fact by the way fact i'm not i'm not uh, gonna sugarcoat this at all if people don't lean in and support these organizations they will disappear you look at the organizations on the right you know the real news organizations on the right which have gone through their own turmoil in recent weeks and months there's a lot to be said of how quickly would you have ever thought that project veritas could effectively disappear overnight (laughs) well these things can happen so um be warned yeah, and we're talking to all the BuzzFeeders, too, who are now learning the code, I hope. Mm. <laughs> Heard it's a very prominent position for them moving forward. Reem, we really enjoyed yeah. sitting down with you today and uh, look forward Thank to having you, you back anytime. Uh, you're Appreciate welcome here it. on Steak for Breakfast. This is the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, one of our favorite guests, Mr. Reem Bissam. Thanks for joining us on the show. Cheers, guys. Absolutely fantastic way to start the week, Noah. What do you think? Not bad. You definitely get more than you bargain for when you have somebody like Raheem Kassam who could donate almost an entire hour to a podcast like he did here on Steak for Breakfast. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode of the show and you want to hear now the over 230 other editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podaddict, Google Podcasts, or even in the Samsung Store. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to, well, I'm going to say Noah first because he came in on his day off. Thank you. Oh, dang. And, of course, the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse and the whole team, part of the National Pulse family, Mr. Raheem Kassam. Thanks for joining us and helping make steaks great again. Guys, I just want to mention a couple of our sponsors that we didn't get at the top of the show. Our good friend, Alan, host on the Steak for Breakfast podcast occasionally. He's also the CEO of My Patriot Cigars. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your order. Any order, over 100 bucks free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And Farmer Bill's Premium Beef Jerky. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're getting 5 bucks off your order. You throw together a 12-pack, free shipping. Check out all the great products they've got going on down at FarmerBill'sProvisions.com. Guys, this has been our exclusive interview with Mr. Raheem Kassam, a special edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow at our regularly scheduled time, and take care. Husband Trisha Takanawa with the news, and now I will have my normal post-news review from my mom in her car. You're no good! You're no good on news! You're stiff like watching board! Joe London mother so happy! Trisha Takanawa mother so sad!